Hello, and welcome to Rewired, a brand new podcast. Whether you are a baby boomer or a millennial, planning ahead or already enjoying retirement, this show is designed to inspire your imagination with helpful information to invite you to live your best life. And now, here's our host, Duchess Dale. Hello and welcome to episode number nine, number nine, number nine, a little Beatles homage, if you will. It is May 17th, 2023. Today's episode is Mental Health is Mental Wealth, as we continue to spotlight the month of May as Mental Health Awareness Month. This week is also Women's Health Week and something else that is near and dear to my heart, National Dictionary Week. Oh, I love it. Back in junior high school, I was referred to as Miss Dictionary because I was constantly coming up with new words or defining words that we would have. I think I was given that title not as a compliment, but I took it as an honor. So this week for National Dictionary Week, the daily word, and that's D-A-L-E hyphen Y, my daily word is orthography, orthography. O-R-T-H-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y, and that refers to the correct spelling or the art of writing words with proper letters according to standard usage. Well, (laughs) I think standard usage kind of went by the wayside once we started social media and in particular using cell phones for text messages. I don't think many people use correct spelling or grammar in a text message. It's supposed to be short and sweet, and we've kind of come to take that for granted. Well, one of the writers and journalists that I respect so much who hasn't taken that for granted is the former news anchor Dan Rather. I subscribe to his newsletter on Substack, and I love reading it because it's informative and it's humorous and it is orthographically divine. (laughs) And a few days ago, he had a piece that made me smile. And it took me back to when I was a kid. And I remember hearing this odd concert piece called The Typewriter. Ah, yes, The Typewriter, the grandparent of our current keyboard. Well, Mr. Rather, and I know many other folks besides myself, love the sound of typewriter keys. In fact, a couple of years ago, my wonderful husband bought me a keyboard that makes those sounds and looks like a typewriter keyboard. It's heavenly. Well, this concert piece was written back in 1950 by American composer Leroy Anderson, and it is called The Typewriter. And all it is is there was a you know, a concert piece going on in the background and somebody sitting at a typewriter in rhythmic matching what was going on musically and you hear the typewriter clicking away. Well, that was created even before my time, but I remember it as a kid, usually with cartoons. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, you might want to use your favorite browser and type in the typewriter by Leroy Anderson and listen to two minutes of musical humor that I think will uplift you enormously. Thank you.
Rewired is sponsored by the Aging and Long-Term Services Department from the Department of Health and the State of New Mexico. And today, my guest is the Cabinet Secretary for that department, Katrina Hotram-Lopez. She has so much information to share and such enthusiasm about her job that I'm just going to get right to that interview now. Well, welcome back. I'm very excited for our guest today. I'm going to bring forth Katrina Hotram-Lopez. Now, she is the Cabinet Secretary for the Aging and Long-Term Services Department, the sponsor of our show, by the way, and she has worked in behavioral health services for a long time. She was the director of the Bernalillo County Substance Abuse Programs, and before working at the Aging and Long-Term Services Department, she earned her bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Alaska at Fairbanks and a master's degree in family studies from the University of New Mexico. She's a busy lady. So, Cabinet Secretary, thank you for taking your time today out of your busy schedule to speak with us. Thank you so much for having me on. This is so exciting that we get to you know, do some modern technology for aging, but I just want to set the stage at the very, very beginning. Please call me Katrina. Oh, thank you, Katrina. And I think it's a, I, I agree that we have this opportunity to use our current technology to inform and inspire seniors as we go forth. So thank you for that. <laughs> I would love it since you have, even though I can now call you Katrina, you have this official title of cabinet secretary. Could you give me an overview and tell our listeners what that means and maybe what your typical workday might be like? Certainly, certainly. So, um, you know, I've got to just give a shout out to the governor, uh, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, you know, who really um, in New Mexico paved the way for for aging and aging services. So I actually worked with her before this was this 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 was a department. So it was the uh, agency on aging, and she was the director of that. Um, that was in the in the mid nineties, um, and then uh, became a, a, a cabinet position under um, Governor um, uh, Richardson. And so she headed that up. She was the first cabinet secretary of that. And then um, not not long after, went over to the Department of Health. So I've been fortunate to work with her directly and understand her vision and her inspiration. Um, and so being being a cabinet secretary is definitely something she um, she put she put forward. So we're really excited about that. Um, and a typical day, because many people don't um, understand everything that we do within the aging and long-term services department, you know, we we um, we have connections with children, youth, and families department, the oh. the Department of Health, um, Human Services department, and we work at, and actually even early childhood, um, we work closely together um, in order to make sure that we're taking the same. Uh, step forward and and mm-hmm. at the same pace pace with implementing services that impact children to uh, to adults and mm-hmm. and into um, aging and so you know my day could it be anywhere from trying to uh, talk about uh, grandparents raising grandchildren with children youth and families department to see what services that we can offer as well as children services that they can offer so that we can 
reduce um, any sort of negative impact in that home. And so a lot of people don't realize that, but I think I in didn't. New Mexico, we, we've got a large number of individuals, of grandparents raising their grandchildren. And oftentimes they can't afford to, to do that. And so what supports are we giving them? Uh, how are we making things easier to bridge from the, the grandparents' point of view to, to um, you know, even uh, education? And do we make sure that, that we have nutrition there? Are we making sure that behavioral health services are there in that home if needed with, with children, youth, and families? department? Are we making sure with the Department of Health that they have um, every piece of or at least their basic care needs met? And so there's a lot that goes into looking um, at aging services because we need to and we're committed to looking at the nucleus of that family, however it's defined. That is an amazing broad spectrum for a job description. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I'm sort of new to understanding your department and I'm sure my listeners are. And the idea of utilizing the skill set and the services that apply to seniors and older people also has to take into consideration youth and family. So that's an amazing bit of information. And, and so a senior might be able to contact ALTSD, which is the acronym for your department, and they could get information for either their own seniorhood or their or their children. <laughs> yes, and you know we have we do have a call center. It's the Aging and Disability Resource Center. Um, that number is one eight hundred. 432-2080. And we answer any question from, you know, are there any, what services are in your particular community? Uh, we help intervene and navigate on your behalf for, um, you know, uh, Medicare uh, and Medicaid um, advantage plans for seniors. Uh, we we uh, actually enroll seniors um, who are working, but maybe they need to have in-home care and we sign them up and determine their eligibility for Medicaid and waiver programs. Wow. Um, and then, you know, we're really broadening the spectrum. We, you know, if you call that number and need an intake for adult protective services, we will either connect you or make that intake. If you've got a family member in a long-term care facility, we will look, we will get you to the right connection in the long-term care ombudsman program, which is an advocacy-based program that goes into long-term care facilities as seniors, and they go and advocate for resident rights. And so, you know, that is a really, really important program in the state of New Mexico. We have about 300 facilities across the state between assisted livings and licensed nursing homes and certified nursing homes. And we're always looking for volunteers, but we also want to hear from family members who are struggling so we can help you get that senior what they need in those long-term care facilities. So That's I know that Carmen is going to be on the show. Yes, Carmen, um, yes. she is our state long-term care ombudsman. She is fantastic and very motivating. And so she gets to talk to you about all those ins and outs. But actually, when I started with um, the, the aging and long-term services department before, you know, when it was an agency, I actually was hired as our regional ombudsman coordinator. Um, and so I, you know, that was my first state job. And I am just so happy that now, you know, towards the end of my career, I get to lead and champion such an important department. It is an important department. And, and 
um, I, I was like, ooh, 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 we have to talk about that. And and you're right, Carmen will be coming on. That'll be another episode because I think that's a very significant one that's important to not only the seniors themselves, but the family members who are concerned about um, perhaps an aging parent or a relative. So that's a good one. And it sounds like you are the <laughs> manager of all these things. It's quite the hub that you handle. Is that correct? It, you know, and we should be a hub, right? And so, um, and I love that. Um, and, and I love the governor's approach of we're going to be working collectively together. Um, and we are going to make a difference for New Mexicans, not just our portion, but we're going to make sure that New Mexicans have what they need in order to improve our quality of life. And so, and we've been doing that. And this is the part of the job that I love the most saying we've mm. got this individual or this family that's in crisis, let's figure out, um, you know, what aging can do, but let's figure out what CYFD can do. Let's figure out what HSD can do in order for enrollment and services, um, as well as the health department. And it works. It works. (laughs) And so we're starting to see this change. And it just is so inspiring and exciting for, for all New Mexicans. It actually sounds so. It sounds creative as well as administrative. And I think that's probably what appeals to you and why you are so excited about it. And yes, it may be just for our wonderful state of New Mexico, but I'm hoping that maybe that becomes a template that other states pay attention to, you know, replicate this around the country. It would be great. Absolutely. (laughs) This month, as you probably know, given where, you, where you're where you working, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And given your background, the psychology and all of that, and what you've been doing in the agency, can you share with us how this currently impacts the citizens of New Mexico? Certainly. So I've got to tell you that, again, just another shout out to the governor who has made sure that aging, um, as well as smaller departments, have a seat at the table with a behavioral health collaborative um, and and a voice. Because many of our seniors, um, you know, they struggle with isolation and depression. And Mm -hmm. I just got to remind folks, you know, you know, when 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 we were growing up, you know, I'm 53 years old. When we were growing up, it wasn't as taboo to to talk about some mental health issues, but it kind of was. And I, I remember right. my mom at that age. You keep, you know, family stuff stays inside family, right? Um, and that she's not the only one, you know. No. And so there is still this stereotype. And my mom's seventy seven at this point. Um, so I think that that a lot of the listeners and viewers can relate. And 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 um, adult you know, children of parents from those generations will relate to, you don't talk about this. It's a stigma. We handle this in house and that's anything from an addiction to severe depression, to major mental health issues like schizophrenia. And so it has been a major challenge for, um, for this department to sort of crack through and, and, and let seniors um, know or believe that they are safe if they call a 1-800 number and that your information is not going to get out and that you can tell your story, you can talk about being depressed and that, that's confidential information and we can seek help because many of these folks aren't seeking the help that they need. And I think what we're seeing as a result of that is increased um, alcohol consumption because of the Mm -hmm. isolation, 
you know, um, and earlier onsets of Alzheimer's and dementia or other memory-related diseases. Um, and certainly COVID was not our friend, especially no. to our seniors who had to stay home. And just a personal reflection and story on that is I thought my, my mom lives in Alaska. Um, oh. And um, she, and, and I, I still have family that live there, but she, um, she was really isolated during COVID. I mean, my sisters would come over, but not very much because she was so afraid of being ill and she's got some underlying comorbidities. Um, so I totally understood that, but we also started noticing interesting and odd behaviors. And by the time COVID was done, my mother um, had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. And I think that that was... Um, that 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 happened sort of prematurely because of the isolation for over two years that she was in. And right. so do I think she would have gotten it? Yes. Do I think that she would have hit this severity? <sighs> I think it happened more quickly because of that isolation. I, I think you're, you may be right on that. I, I know that that isolation and seclusion impacted all of us in so many different ways. And I think, again, for someone who is older, how challenging that would be. As you mentioned, the fear of not wanting to get sick and yet trying to be secluded and handle things on their own. And people are still dealing with that, even though I know that so much has lifted about the pandemic. So that's extraordinary. So someone, sorry. In addition to that though, you know, um, it's now diagnostic um, that that, uh, memory-related illnesses such as Alzheimer's and dementia are part of the, the mental health diagnostics. And so that means us being at the forefront of this, we can actually push with the behavioral health collaborative things that seniors really need. You know, we know um, that that not only isolation and depression, but Alzheimer's and dementia are now a cognitive behavioral health disease, right? right. And that is identified in the, in the mental health manual. So um, what can we do to push at the forefront to get not only um, the senior uh, services that they need, even through our Alzheimer's plan, but push that Medicaid pay for more services um, to, to assist our seniors in getting the services that they need? And it's not just the senior. I mean, it's their caregiver. Um, it's usually their family member that's also stressed out, having some mental health issues, having depression and anxiety because their loved ones are so hard to take care of, right? Exactly. So what are we doing about that? How are we assisting with that? Because we're seeing numbers now that, that are saying, geez, you know, that the, the caregivers are dying either shortly after their loved one um, passes away with, the, with a cognitive, uh, you know, uh, mental health issue, or they're dying actually before them. And so um, we're seeing this and we can get you some of the statistics in order to, to, to talk about um, a uh, little later yes. on in another show, but we're seeing the impacts of this. And I'll tell you, our seniors are just taking it on their the chin and thinking that this is normal and it's not, and we can help. That is startling. And, uh, you know, my mind is kind of blown by all of that. And yes, I'd love to have the statistics to help share because, well, the goal of the podcast is to offer information, but it's also to offer inspiration on how to shift things, how to be preventative for either the caregiver or the senior. And you are so right. I think we'll do another episode about 
caregivers by themselves because that's not even easy when your loved one just has the flu and is at home, you know, not feeling well and cranky and secluded. However, to take care of a senior or through a pandemic or through cognitive conditions has to be an amazing challenge. So I'm grateful that your department is addressing it. And you said that um, they can call and it's confidential. And what else can we suggest or offer that would be more preventative? Because you've just defined everything I'm reading about, which is it's cognitive and we can stave a lot of that off. How do we get that information out to the older community? So, you know, that's really what we're trying to do here is awareness is the first step and taking away some of those stigmas. Um, one of the initiatives that we are going to be implementing is, you know, we did, we haven't even talked about the aging network services that we also do, but all of those um, senior centers that are in every community, and I believe we have around 300 on tribes, pueblos, and, and in, across the state as a whole. Good. But um, you know, I know that not a lot of folks or some of folks are are skittish about uh, going in and, you know, playing pool again or socializing. But these are the things and these routines are the, the, the best component to help us combat Alzheimer's, dementia and other related diseases. OK, right. It is really so if you uh, plan your day, you go out, you, um, you 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 volunteer or you go and play pool or you there's a book club. Having some of those routines in place actually help us make sure that we're getting up, moving. It helps with depression. It helps with sort of that long term memory or that that um, that right. we kind of talk about because there's systems that we already do. And so, um, you know, those are huge ways to to combat this. but. I just want seniors to understand that you're not alone. You're absolutely not alone and that there are resources out there and, and um, that there's actually a, a, not only a suicide hotline, but a behavioral health hotline in New Mexico, which I'm sure my assistant is going to be getting that we can, we can put um, um, or we can add to this conversation because, um, you know, today's world's different. It's oh, oh, yes, yes, ma'am, indeed. And I'm uh, I'm happy to share those numbers this episode as well as next week, particularly because of this month's focus. And I think it's just good information because you never know when someone's going to tune in for the first time. So yeah. I want them to have these resources by phone or even I know that because we're on technology, they can also go to www.aging.nm.gov if they want to this amazing website with all of these opportunities and, and departments and things that they can look for and the caregivers can check to know what to do. And as I say, for me, it, it, preventing some of this or educating people, I think has mm-hmm. to be a key step towards managing it once there's a, a situation. So, wow. <laughs> It, it is incredible, it, and it and it sounds overwhelming, and it can be, but we can help. And you know, there's the New Mexico Crisis and Access Line that's open 24/7. Um, so, and that number is one eight five five NM Crisis or one eight five five six six two seven four seven four. 
And okay. I urge them to reach out. And these are confidential calls. You know, people can handle them. If you need help, they can get help to you right away. Um, we, a lot of law enforcement and local communities have been now trained on crisis response. And we want them to be utilized, meaning that there is an approach understanding that there's a mental health issue and, um, and being able to take that with some sensitivity as they're managing uh, a crisis on a 911 response. That's fabulous, Katrina. I'm uh, I'm so blown away by what this department and what this state offers its residents. And, and that makes me even more eager to get this information out there because I keep picturing in my head an older person who's not going to the senior center and doesn't even know about your department, this podcast, or or the, whatever the next community event is, how do we reach them? Maybe we need sort of like, there used to be bookmobiles when I was a kid. Maybe we need a, an ALTSD mobile to, to drive around and say, hello, here's who we are, what we do, what we offer. Exactly. And, and, and a lot of the, you know, it, it, uh, seniors, there's, there's a variety of seniors, ones who don't use technology at all right. uh, to have it limitedly to ones who are full-blown using it. And, and so um, in terms of our department, we've got to be very sensitive to that. And that's, mm-hmm. again, one of the reasons why we answer, want to answer these calls um, as much as we can live. We're now back to 80, over 80% answering to live calls, um, which is great for us. Uh, and um, you know, we want to be available to talk to to folks because uh, if they're not if they're not comfortable utilizing a computer, it means it means nothing for them if we say go on our website. So call us. We can give you information. We can we we want to meet you where you are during COVID. We enrolled so many people to get vaccinated, and so we're we're getting pretty good about those things at this point. <laughs> understanding that we we've got to be able to help them and and. Also, um, I just want to say for Mental Health Month, one of the things that we're going to be rolling out so soon, um, and I'm so proud of this, internally, we've called it the Pansy Project. Um, and, and that's after my mother. Her name is Pansy May. Um, mother was named Pansy May. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that your mother? my grandmother was Pansy May. Oh, that's great. That's that's exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Nice to share that with you. Please continue. I'm yes. sorry. <laughs> so as I said, my mom has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's and during COVID, we brought her down to care for her. Uh, New Mexico is very different from Alaska. And every day that woman wanted to go home and oh. she became Houdini. And I mean, she would She'd get out of her our sight rapidly, and she'd be down the street and and talking to neighbors, or sometimes uh, flagging down police officers. Doing that so much. And my husband is a retired police police officer, so when we would lose her, he would be calling dispatch and you know giving a description of her, and so they would call it you know when once they found her, and um, or I'd be driving around the street just panicked, and so we'd find her and get her. Um, so from that, we, uh, you know, just selfishly, I was thinking about the time and the resources it takes to find someone, you know, um, and, and for special populations, it's even more difficult, you know, so when my mom would be taken or, or, it, you know, intervened, maybe be a law enforcement officer, she was then scared, thought she was in trouble, you know, those sorts of things. So 
you know, it's very difficult. And so I had staff researching what we could do, because if it's happening to me, it's, it's happening to a lot of other folks, right? So um, our uh, chief information officer came across um, a, a program that is, it's launched in, I think, a city in Ohio. And, um, and it's really a special needs registry um, for a variety of populations. We want to roll it out. Uh, first segment would be for memory impairment. And what this, this platform does that we'll be rolling out quickly with our partners, AARP and the Alzheimer's Association um, and state police is rolling out a statewide registry that would include a person's picture if, if the family member wanted to upload that um, and talk and give the person's name um, mm-hmm. and this and, and anything that they like or don't like. So if you started talking to my mom, if you engaged her and said, how's fishing in Alaska, my mom would have responded to you instantly and sort of just sort of changed direction. And if they have some of those little cues, this could actually help law enforcement interaction Correct. With a very vulnerable population. So you think about this as not just aging and long-term services and someone's cognitive issues, but think about this for somebody that has autism, somebody that has a mental health issue. And if, and if they connected with law enforcement, this is how they act or react if you come across them. And so this registry will be basically be app-based and we want to push the and promote this registry so that law enforcement all over the state can utilize this to actually find folks because boy, if my, if my mom could have done it, she would have been in Rio Rancho or Los Lunas. And the problem <laughs> with these little district sort of registries is they don't go outside of those parameters. And so I this see. one would be statewide. And then our next phase would be engaging uh, first responders and ambulance companies so that they know when they go to somebody's house, this is the type of person they may not like sirens, you know, but they, there is this address with mental health issues. Here's the person that lives here. Here's how you engage them. And it doesn't stop a crisis from happening, but it does help the officer understand the engagement that may need to go on. That so, and to mitigate the situation so that that person isn't, as you say, scared or are thinking they're afraid because the law, some policeman is approaching them. Or what have they done wrong? That's pretty incredible. How so for the Pansy Project? How will people find out about that? Well, so we're we're um, we're we're in the process of of selecting the vendor, um, and then we think that we could actually have this rolled out by early July, and so you'll see a lot more promotion on this. Um, you'll see, and, and aging and long term services is paying for the core base of this. Um, we are partnering with uh, state police, who are very excited about this, and we're starting to have conversations with local. Uh, police departments as well as sheriff's departments, because we would love sort of this, you know, this statewide push that this is the registry we're going to use to help every special population from children through adults. And no matter what it is, it's voluntary. So you don't have to sign up for it. But those who do um, could, could, we could help a find people maybe more quickly. Right. (laughs) And um, the interaction between law enforcement um, could be more positive. And that's, we're, we're all about that community policing piece. And we're excited to be partnering at a statewide level. We would be the first in the country to launch a statewide program. I love it. Again, New Mexico setting the stage and a, a role modeling 
uh, an amazing project. And I'm glad you said it was voluntary. And as we get more information or this department can, I think we'll we'll do a special show about that so that we can get that out. And then let uh, that would also be a way for people to know how to volunteer if they wanted to help. And I love the collaboration of all the departments and the law enforcement and eventually first responders supporting these communities and individuals in a greater healthy way, a, a compassionate way, not just health. That's what a wonderful thing to uh, you know, announced today on the show for mental health awareness. Um, given all that, because I, I know your time is limited and uh, you've got to get back to these wonderful projects that you're spearheading. Uh, what is the hardest part about your job? Um, the hardest part of our job or my job um, in particular is not finding the specific resource to assist a family that's in need. Um, and seniors that are in need. And right now, um, we're we're uh, improving on our nutrition, and we're doing really good things on that end. Where we really struggle is services for seniors. And let me tell you why. Um, okay. It's only about 20% of our seniors, it's actually 18% uh, percent of our seniors who are 65 and older, uh, qualify for Medicaid and Medicare. And the reason why that's important is because Medicaid offers so much more in terms of um, community health services, community like community health workers, um, and longer term sort of programming, including um, some home remodifications than Medicare does. And so, and this this also is in the bucket of of food as well and nutrition. And so, if you only have 18 percent of our population that qualifies, then then you've got the other eighty percent of our seniors who don't qualify for what I would consider enhanced services that Medicaid provides. And so, we it's really I, I think that that is a real piece that doesn't hit home for for folks until we actually say that. That means transportation is is more limited for those who are just on Medicare um, than than on Medicaid. That means that you know, having a, a, a um, like a community health worker or a case manager um, mm -hmm. is also more limited than if you were on Medicaid. Uh, that means that adult daycare is not paid for um, if you're not on Medicaid. Uh -huh. I see. Yeah. And a lot of the services that we have are now out of pocket for seniors. And so it is really important for them to contact us so that we can tell them what they're eligible for. Not only can we do that, but um, we've been successful in the last few years in getting something that we call the Kiki Saavedra dollars. And that that is something that can launch and initiate services uh, in New Mexico for our seniors to give to revive sort of a senior uh, community and services both in uh, the community and in long term care. Right. And so you want to bridge those services together and make sure there's a continuum. Well, one of those needs, major major needs is transportation. We've got to figure that out for the state. Um, we've got a lot of New Mexicans and our seniors who live in rural and remote areas. They don't want to move. And I don't want to make it. I want to make sure that they have services in their own community. And so we are really working diligently on doing things that allow them to stay in their own home uh, through the Kiki Savager dollars. So this also allows us to tell, it really informs us when you call, uh, if there's a service that we haven't figured out, 
yet or a needed service in a community that we don't know about yet, this helps us figure that out, um, work with communities in order to, to start to figure out how we can infuse an aging system so that we have um, a continuum of care. Well, that's an incentive in and of itself to maybe bring to the department's attention, as you say, a need where there is a need. And um, I don't know why I'm in the mobile vision, but I was thinking first it was the bookmobile. Now I'm seeing the Muppet bus going yeah. around into these rural areas to bring information and 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 support and finding out, asking them, what do they need? What are we missing for them? So that's fantastic. Just- just a couple of highlights. Um, we've been working really hard in Union and Harding County to get services up there. We're especially in Harding County. There are seniors, but there's still more cows than seniors there. But that's really the aging population type. And it's a food desert up there. And so successfully, last month, we launched a food program uh, where we have a, a grocery store in Union County. And people can you know, pick what they want. Um, and then we have somebody that delivers those groceries to certain spots so that people can get their groceries. And it's been so it's been two months. We 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 started with seven. We're now uh, over ten. And family members like children from mm-hmm. Albuquerque and from out of the state are calling in the orders for their their parents. And That's so making great. sure it's delivered. And so we're looking to open up another site in Des Moines. And we know that there are a couple more uh, food desert counties and we will be working with those counties specifically to mm-hmm. figure out how we can address it specifically for their community. So um, we're excited about this. I can hear the excitement. It's also really a wonderful proactive thing to do. How many how many people work for the Aging and Long-Term Services Department, or is it that you also rely a lot on volunteers? So that's a great question. We have um, about 263 uh, mm-hmm. employees within the Department of Health, but we have a large reach. And so that means the area agencies on aging, the ones that actually subcontract and and, and um, make sure that our senior centers are running and operating. And so, you know, so our reach is over 300 there. Um, and then we have, you know, again, Adult Protective Services and the Ombudsman Program to where there are absolutely direct connections with family members and the community. Um, And we need people to volunteer because um, what we're trying to do is something really mighty that would impact all of our seniors um, in rural and remote New Mexico, where there are hardly any services. And we need people to volunteer. We need them to go into long-term care facilities. We need them to advocate and say, hey, uh, did you know aging has X, Y, and Z, and I can help you? Um, and so we we push and we want those types of volunteers. It's a minimum of three hours a week. Um, okay. <laughs> and that will be amazing. So, Oh, that's great. Well, we'll have another episode dedicated to how to do that and what is possible. But that gives us a, a great insight. And, you know, when I think about it, we're all aging, whether we're yes. 25 and aging or 55 and aging, et cetera, et cetera, that this is a great place to be of service in a creative, wonderful way. So. Thank you for that. I, again, I know your time. So I guess either would you share, you've given me so many tips, so I'm not even going to go there. Uh, let's go with what is your most favorite or rewarding thing about your job? Uh, hands down, uh, interacting with seniors, hands down. Oh. 
And so at any level, whether they need help or we're socializing, I was able to uh, actually go to a couple of dances um, and, and bruise people's feet. But, um, you know, getting out there and connecting with seniors one-on-one, it, it, it just um, it fills my heart with joy. Oh, really Katrina, thank you. Uh, I can sense that from you. I feel that from you. And I know that the listeners will, will know how authentic that is. And I so appreciate what you do in your job and what your your teams and your staff and your volunteers do with and for the state of New Mexico. And I thank you so much for being on the show and you are you have an open invitation to return at any time if there's another ooh, ooh, idea that you come up with or you want us to broadcast and and help to get out there so thanks again and take care That about wraps up episode number nine. Thank you for joining us today. And remember this weekend on Saturday, May 20th is National High Heels Day. (laughs) Bet you didn't know about that. It was created or acknowledged as a court order by Judge Gisela Lawrence in 2021. Oh, I love high heels and I love looking at them and I used to love wearing them, but they no longer love me. Saturday the 20th is also Armed Forces Day. This was created in 1949 by Harry Truman to honor all branches of the military. So thank you everyone who has served this country so well. And thank you Katrina Hotram Lopez for being our guest today and supporting more information about mental health awareness, particularly for seniors. And the one sentence that she shared that has echoed for me since then is you are not alone. If you are a senior in New Mexico and you need some support or information, please call the Aging and Long-Term Services Department at 1-800-432-2080. Until we meet again next week, remember to reconnect, refresh, rewire.